0: Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're talking with Adrianus Warmenhoven, who is the defensive strategist for Nord Security. Uh, Adrianus has actually a very long and interesting background related to cybersecurity, and we're going to talk about some of that. And we're going to talk about some best practices related to individual security and also um, inside of different enterprises. Before we do that, though, let's uh, welcome Adrianus.
1: How are you today? Hi, I'm fine. It's just a bit warm, but it's to be expected from summer. It's a bit warm. Are, are you in the Netherlands now? Where are you? Yes, I'm in the Netherlands. I'm in the lovely city of Zwolle.
0: Zwolle. I've never been there. Um, how, when you say
1: warm, how, how warm is it? At the moment it's, it's outside is like 24 degrees, uh, centigrade. Um, but inside with all the computers I have, it, it it gets easily to like 32 at the moment, 32 degrees centigrade.
0: Yeah. I was going to say 24 is about perfect. But, uh, if you're indoors with that kind of, um, that kind of ambient heat and you don't have much air circulating yet, that can be kind of stifling. I'm in uh, Arizona right now at altitude. So it's what we would say mid eighties and nineties Fahrenheit. Um, but if you just go down the the road about 90 minutes to Phoenix, they're in the, like the, the 110 Fahrenheit, which I have no idea what that is in Celsius, but I, I, I think it's approaching 40 degrees. It's, it's just, awful. it's God awful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, uh, well, hey, um, let me ask you, I mean, because, you know, you have, um, like I said, a, a long and interesting background related to cybersecurity. Why don't we just start off with your current role um, at, at Nord Security? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do as a defensive strategist?
1: I'm doing defensive strategy uh, and I'm also manager of the threat intelligence uh, team for, and this is a whole mouthful, threat protection products, um, and let's, Unravel it by starting with threat protection products. Um, The first thing to say about that is that at North, we believe in privacy, but also want to protect our users. um, Against some of the more prevalent uh, malicious activities online and that's what threat protection products uh, is for. And we do things like um, anti-phishing, anti-trackers, which are in the browser, because even if you you have a VPN, sometimes a browser or an advertisement setup or something else might be tracking you. There might be uh, apps that are doing all of these kind of things. That's what threat protection products actually does. It's a complement to the VPN service for your privacy and security. My role in that is, uh, as a defensive strategist, is I look at what are the most common ways of attacking our users or tracking them and say okay these are uh, the areas that we need to focus upon and and which we de- need to do some extra research uh, to find countermeasures against and then the final part the manager of threat intelligence and threat intelligence is actually that we really look at which malware is is currently uh, uh, rampant which phishing campaigns are running um, which track our networks, like all the intelligence that goes into the products for which we make the uh, security.
0: Well, let's uh, let's kind of drill down on that bit. So what are you yeah. seeing in terms of the types of attacks uh, and the types of malware that is being uh, used? Is it the same old, same old, or are you seeing anything different these days?
1: Now you see, uh, of course, most of the malware is, is it, it's really almost commoditized. It's almost a, a real business model where you can see that um, specific campaigns are being run by campaign runners. They have bought it from affiliates and the affiliates have bought it again from the criminal organizations. So you see uh, fewer different species of malware, but the malware is getting more and more advanced because there's much more uh, money to be made of it. So there's a lot more um, development um, funding going on in in the different types of malware. so the, this is kind of the, the, the trend that, that we're going, more advanced, fewer species, but with a lot more modules. Um, we also see that the um, campaign runners, those are the people that get the malware into the uh, a client's device. Uh, we see those that they're using more phishing, uh, more creative users of phishing, um, They buy new domains. Uh, there's a lot of creativity on, on that end going on. So that diver- diversifies and the malware itself uh, actually, um, is um, how do you say that um, more lethal? So, yes, yes, but all, but but it's also uh, um, uh, coalescing in, in, into one, uh, into fewer uh, types of malware. So when we we see less diversity in the types of malware, we see more diversity in 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 the ways of of getting the malware to the clients' devices.
0: So so, where where is this malware coming from? I mean, I'm envisioning people write some code, um, and then you know they can make money from reselling the code, and then you have people who are actually, as you said, the runners, um, who are trying to inject that code into their targets. Uh, But you know, where in your, you know, from what you see, where where is the malware coming from? And I'm talking about the just the original kind of creation or design coding of it.
1: There's there's quite some what they call actors, uh, which are known to the the various uh, cybersecurity companies. They have different uh, monikers with with all of them. And you can see that there's quite a lot of it coming from Russia, actually. Um, And this is not specifically because uh, uh, the current situation in in Russia, it always has been Russia uh, uh, quite a lot because of some peculiar um, law deficiencies uh, they have, where if they, um, if no Russian entity is harmed, then uh, Russian law enforcement will not make make moves uh, against those um, uh, evil entities. So even if uh, if you can see this attack is coming from from uh, Russia, there's nothing you can do about it. You can mention it and, and hope that somebody will do a takedown, but probably not. So you will see a lot of the of it uh, coming from Russia. But also, um, yeah, uh, some of it is, is, is coming from, from China, which is uh, also quite nation-state-sponsored. Um, and of course, there's a lot of it which is unknown, but which is, uh, uh, has affiliations um, with different countries around the world. But uh, currently, Russia is really number one.
0: Okay. In, in in terms of phishing, what is, give an example of some of the most creative things that you've seen recently.
1: Well, we've seen um, a drop registration, uh, which means that if a company forgets to um, renew their uh, registration uh, um, subscription, that the registration is, is really quickly uh, bought by somebody else. Are you talking about their domain? or Yes, the domain. Yeah, okay. Okay, okay. And, and, uh, um, but we also see a uh, uh, homomorphic which is a difficult way of saying um, characters which in unicode which is the, the all the character sets that we're using uh, they look the same to the user uh, if you visually look uh, like uh, the character a has, a has a similar character which is not the character a but it looks like it so you can have domain names which your eye completely look the same but which are actually code to computers so something completely different we see a lot of um, CEO fraud we see a lot of um, if, if there's some uh, churn in a company like uh, lots of people moving or joining you see a lot of uh, things like that like this is your manager or this is HR uh, you need to respond to this survey um, it's really very broad <coughs> no, I'm sorry it's really very broad at the moment. There's not um, a small single thing that, that, that we can say, okay, only watch for this. Um, actually everything that you can think of at the moment is being used and even uh, some last ditch desperate efforts like um, uh, the the, the prince from Ghana, which everybody knows about uh, as a <laughs> spam, but it's still being reused. I, I still get it in my mailbox. Like I'm from this country I have lots of money and I'm a refugee. Help me! And- help
0: me! Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so- I'll cut you in. I'll cut you in for ten million dollars <laughs> because I'm because exactly. I, I need your help and I'm so appreciative. Yeah. No. That's 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 awesome and I it, it, it must work because yes. why would they keep doing these emails for so many years, right? Um. And and yeah. So um, let me ask you, uh, because it it's it, it, you know. It's amazing we have all this great super sophisticated technology the weakest link oftentimes continues to be just us simple yes. humans right yes. so what advice would you give to um, you know people who are working inside of a company and they see something that just their you know their spidey senses start tingling or as an individual who's a kind of on your own because you have got a different support structure uh, structure yes. so what would you what would you advise
1: For a company, I would always, always, if if you have uh, any uh, doubts about uh, something, always contact your um, security department or security person or CISO or whatever you have in place. Um, And don't start investigating on your own. Some of the tricks that that we see are are really sophisticated. Um, Just give it to the security department. And there's also another reason why the security department needs to know about it. So they can um, see if there's a trend against their company. Um, If nobody uh, mentions it, they don't know that they're being targeted and if if they're being targeted, that might be that the attacks on on some other system. So always mention it to to your uh, security department. They will know what to do if you're on your own. It's a bit different. Um, There's different ways that you can check, but almost all of the links, uh, you don't have to click them. Uh, You can just type in or get from your bookmarks, the site that you want to visit. Let's say your bank sends you uh, or your credit card company sends you an email saying, you must respond to this survey. Then don't click the link, but just take your favorites, your bookmarks, and then, then go to the site of your credit card company, log in as you normally would and then you will find either a message in, in, in the message box or the link to the to that survey. There's there's no need to click on any link at all in, in an email.
0: I, I like that advice. And I, I think that's that's one major takeaway. There's never any real reason to click on a link in an email. Um, you know, and I think it goes beyond banks or it can it can be or credit card companies. If you book a hotel. And, you know, you, you get a confirmation of the reservation. I, I always, yeah, I mean, that's some really good advice. Just go back to the, the, the site, whether it's booking.com or hotels, whatever it is, um, log in. And, and if there's a message for you there, I mean, you know, obviously your booking comfort, your, your reservation will be there, but, um, just click on the links. It, it, all's it takes is one little snippet of malicious code and, um, it could ruin your day. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: So, um, Speaking of logging into accounts, how important do you think is, you know, a second factor authentication or MFA or two
1: FA? It, it, it's it's almost to the point of 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 like basic necessity nowadays. Um, th- there's a couple of things you you, you should have, and I think uh, having a password manager is one, and having uh, MFA is, is 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 the second part. Um, and the reason why I mentioned password manager, um, because it, it complements the, the second factor, a lot of databases are being stolen or reused. or um, And they, they're available on the dark web. Um, and if you don't use a password manager, chances are you will be reusing your password or something that you can remember. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are all the passwords not at North we publish each year, the, the most used passwords that you can find on, on, on the uh, net. and. The reason why those are the most used passwords are because people need to remember them and they make them easy. But if you use a password manager, you can use a password phrase, like, uh, I don't know, um, the cat sat on a hot tin roof, for instance, that's your passphrase, which is not easily guessable. And that's the only thing you need to remember for your password manager and your password manager can add totally random sounding uh, uh, passwords that are actually random um, for each and every site. So that, that, that's already one one layer of defense but then again if you want to protect a specific website um, then you need the second factor because the second factor is is uh, um, out outside uh, of the database it, it gets calculated so even if your uh, data uh, your password gets intercepted because man in the middle in the browser there's so many ways that this can happen um, it's almost impossible to have a, a secret that changes over time like uh, um, the Google Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator to predict that kind of thing. So always use those two at least as your as your basic security.
0: Do you have
1: uh, any you know favorites
0: for password managers, um, either for companies or for for individuals? I mean I mean obviously it's all individuals, but I'm saying. If you're gonna roll it out throughout the enterprise, it's one situation, but if you're just one individual person looking for a password manager, you know, do you have any recommendations?
1: If, if I'm, uh, for, for single, it kind of depends on, on your case. For, for a, a granny, I would say use the one in, in your browser. Um, mm-hmm. Not more difficult than that, but, but start using one. Um, and obviously uh, from for Nord, we also have a, a password manager which is available. Um, but there's, it, it depends a bit on, on, on your password flow and, and, and your whole identity flow. Um, I know a couple of, uh, of them that, which I as a company would really like uh, to use because they have different ways of um, delegating responsibility. Um, so Keyhub would be uh, one, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, of course, you uh, can still use uh, LastPass, which is a really well-known one. Uh, Bitwarden, if you want to do open source, and I still re- recommend the North uh, Locker, which is our own password manager because I know that that we work very hard not to know about anything about our customers. Um, so for privacy,
0: I say super important. Nord. Yes. Yeah, and then when you look at different password managers, are there some other like nice to have features? For example, um, one of the things that I that I like when I'm in a... Organizational environment is the ability to share passwords in a secure manner.
1: Yes, Um, that's also important. Um, And and again, please have a look at Keyhub because they do something a bit different and the passwords get automatically cycled and and there's so much thought in there, Um, but it's it's a bit expensive and and heavyweight. But for uh, most companies, uh, password sharing is one. But also, you want to be able to quickly cycle all your passwords when somebody gets offboarded. This is really important because uh, otherwise, somebody can uh, use your password manager, just copy that password, and when he leaves, uh, he or she leaves the company, can still reuse that password. So, you need, need to be able to um, hook it into your offboarding process as well. And that that's not all password managers are not uh, fit for that. Um, another ni- nice to have feature. That I personally uh, uh, like and and, um, that is it reminds me of how long ago I did not log in to a specific website Mm -hmm. and and why this is important is that if I don't go to a website like let's say a a, a local store a butcher has a website store I make an account I never go there uh, anymore for quite a while and the butcher goes out of business, but the website is still online, it, it will get hacked and the database will get uh, stolen and the passwords will be used or all my data from, from that site will be used. So it's a good idea if you don't, haven't gone to a website in like, let's say, 180 days to remove your account because you're not going there, and but you're still leaving valuable information, uh, which is about you, in that website. So remove that data.
0: Okay, I think that's some some very good advice. Um, I, I know you know obviously based in Europe, GDPR and other kind of privacy um, regulations are incredibly important for for you and your organization. Um, what what are some things that you recommend people or companies, I should say, companies who uh, you know you, you manage your employee data, you have your vendor data, you have customer data. You may be processing, you may be a data processor. What are some things that you you think that uh, Organizations need to be aware of these days.
1: They should really should have somebody for the role of uh, DPO, data protection officer. Um, it's a lot more complex than just uh, saying, "Oh, we don't process any data, or we do," um, because especially with the cloud, uh, you have uh, something with with all the um, software as a service providers. You also need, need to check who's a data processor, what type of data, is it uh, um, special data or that or, uh, uh, do, do we uh, actually need to process that data? Because GDPR says you can process just about anything you want as long as there's um, a valid reason for it. So, so let's say if you, if you need it because of your business, there's a valid reason to pro- process data and you can. But this is why I say, have a dpo uh, because there's legalities there's technicalities and there's of course a, a lot of uh, departments that also need to fall in line uh, with this so yeah it, it, it's a lot of paperwork but um, it helps if you do it at least once really right and then mm-hmm. do, an up, do an upkeep every every year because after that uh, after you do it once it's it's not not that much work anymore just uh, have it checked and have one person have the role of, of data protection officer.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really, really important. I, I kind of think of it as regardless of the potential fines and everything like that, um, it's just good basic practice these days. I mean, if you think about all the different data that we, we as individuals and as organizations touch, and if you think about the toxicity of some of that data or the potential toxicity, you need somebody that's kind of like, hey, you know, gonna gonna kinda manage that or keep an keep an eye on what's going on.
1: Yeah, and check your vendors because that that that's really is is nowadays uh, one of the biggest issues actually. Let's say for instance you, you use want to use Amazon's uh, recognize platform, which is an AI for recognizing people and items on, on images or moving images. It works absolutely fine. It even it it has amazing capabilities. However, um, in the terms of service, there are some items which you might not agree with, like uh, you agree with uh, that Amazon can use the data or, or the tags in, inside it to further their own uh, um, purposes. And that's, that's something mm, that might not not agree with uh, the valid reasons why you are processing data, so you really need, need to check, uh, yeah, finally somebody needs to read those terms and services, yes. Absolutely. Hey, um, I, I noticed on your bio that, you know, you have
0: some experience in, in Africa. Yes. Um, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what you were doing there? And then I have some questions about like the kind of current, you know, landscape.
1: Sure. Um, well, it was in the in the 1990s and, and um, we were at the company party and then our director said, yes, we're going to do uh, one of the first commercial um, internet providers in Africa and it will be the first one in 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 Tanzania and I was thinking okay cool who's going to do that and then he turned to me and said Adrianus is going to uh, go there next uh, month (laughs) it must have been a great party man yeah (laughs) so um, I I was not prepared uh, with anything so it it was really an adventure and um, so we had uh, quite some fun in in figuring things out. It it was uh, with the the Intel sat. I used the satellite to make the uh, the connection. Uh, I had to do a lot of work with the modem firmware and and, and it was really an adventure. It was fun. Um, In the end it it, it was used uh, for uh, mostly people who wanted to avoid the very costly prices of faxing through landlines to all uh, throughout the world, because there was a lot of uh, um, shipping and handling in, in in Dar es Salaam. So, but yeah, it, it was fun. That's that's interesting. Uh,
0: yeah, I've I, I lived overseas off and on for 20 something years. And uh, I remember some places at some times you know, a fax, a, you know, a, a two-page fax could cost you ten dollars to to transmit overseas. And if you if you had a 50-page document, well, hey, <laughs> get out your checkbook or your credit card, because uh, yeah, it costs yeah. money. Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah, I was actually in Taiwan when the there were only two ISPs, and um, they, they were both set up by 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 foreigners. Actually, I should I should back up. There were two, four, uh, two ISPs that were easy for foreigners to sign up with and if, if you had to be careful because if you I mean these these were just guys that were you know set this up in apartments small apartments in, in Taipei but if you got on their bad side you were you were cut off man <laughs> you know, yeah. so like no access to the to the internet email or anything um so uh, those were those were fun 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 days um it's interesting because you know you, you, we kind of touched on it earlier, but a lot of the some of the the kind of scam mails do originate typically in Nigeria and other places in Africa, which may kind of lend to the belief that they're somehow um, have technologically somewhat sophisticated. But what is what is the you know the reality there, both in terms of the 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 technology that they're using to launch attacks, but also I mean I look at third world countries or or second world or however you want to define them, and you know they are, I don't care how economically developed they are they are some institutions there there are organizations there that have money that must be targets, and I I, I wonder you know for the attackers are they targeting these these countries that are, or organizations that are obviously not as sophisticated as say some of the firms in Europe or the US?
1: The first thing to know is that as long as uh, the moment that somebody is online, there is no technology gap anymore between this person or the next person in, in, in the world. Every, well, of course, there, there's some, some things like the Chinese firewall, but uh, in, essentially, everybody can get uh, the same type of servers, the same type of software all around the world. So uh, an attacker from from, from from Africa can just go to a cloud service and have exactly the same capabilities as a pen tester from uh, Northern America or Europe. So th- this is something we need, need to keep in mind when we talk about these things. It's just that um, the first thing is that uh, these attackers, they will not as quickly, Target uh, um, indigenous African uh, um, countries, uh, uh, organizations simply because, well, law, local law. It, it, if you make a local victim and you're local uh, perpetrator, it's always um, easier for law enforcement to find you or or do something with you in in, in uh, uh, judicial proceedings. So most one of the, the the things that that that's in in, in and hacking and and, and, uh, cybersecurity like for ages, like since the beginning is you always try to cross uh, uh, borders Mm -hmm. simply because uh, law enforcement then has to go through all the uh, bureaucratic um, stuff upstairs and and they need to negotiate and and the laws need to align. So you always try to cross borders. So when you're an attacker from uh, from, uh, Africa. You're not going to uh, make a lot of victims in Africa because that that that's simply not not good practice. Um, this is also why you, it's, it's easier just to randomly uh, send uh, stuff uh, outside in the world. However, um, some of them will do that uh, with simple phishing scams, which they run once or twice, and they will do that because, um, for instance, it's really easy to get local money transfers. Money transfers local, of course. Are a lot faster than international again. Uh, this also explains a bit why uh, the cryptocurrencies will always be interesting for for criminals, and why um, things like PayPal or all these other things, uh, um, Stripe, are easily used o- also as well. But for uh, Africans, as as um, for defending, you will see uh, in the coming future, in the coming five to ten years that while the second world, third world, is is, is also um, getting more and more online, they will also um, be attacked uh, in in the same or maybe even worse uh, ways because um, they're already struggling financially to get the companies uh, off the ground. And as you know that uh, it was until quite recently that European and and North American, actually uh, Western companies, Struggled the CISOs uh, and, and security departments struggled with getting funding at all to, <laughs> to defend their the companies. It, it, it was a really fun meme that uh, CISO with a zero budget but still had to defend against uh, multi-million uh, dollar-funded criminals. We are past that point, luckily. Uh, I would say um, in, in in the Western world, we will get exactly the same uh, thing uh, in, in in the developing countries. They are happy that they're getting online, they will do digitizing uh, a lot. And then um, they will finally, hopefully get some funding to do their uh, defense um, and get the defensive measures uh, in, in order.
0: It's, it's funny you say that because um, I, yeah, I, I think in the US, you know, the hiring a ciso and giving them a budget and you know some autonomy and responsibility is widely accepted but earlier you mentioned uh, D- data protection officer okay. that is uh, is it probably evolving a little bit more slowly than it is in Europe it, it is happening here in, in all major organizations especially like healthcare organizations anything in regulated industry they're going to have a dpo uh, but a lot of other organizations they just they just look at it as an expense um, and um, and if you look at it that way it's kind of hard to uh, Hard to rationalize it. but um, so let me ask you um, if if you were a new CISO uh, and you just you know you had to put together your ninety day plan, what are what are some of the key things that you
1: would work towards? Um, the first thing always is, is get your asset list uh, uh, in order. Mm-hmm. Know what you have and, and know where everything is. Then the next part would be my authorization matrix. Uh, Know who has access. we talked about this password manager. Well, um, if you have a really good corporate password solution or actually a credential or security solution, um, you can have an insight on on who has um, access to what. And the other thing would be um, is get your patch management cadence, uh, actually the 90 day plan. It's really fun, but in 90 <laughs> days, <laughs> there's not there's not, not, not enough you can do. Uh, but, but I would really check all of those things and then I would check if we had a, a response uh, available. Not every company needs to have their own uh, incident responders, but I would check if there's a, a contract or at least a phone number, which we can call if something goes wrong. And I would check the, the, the backups. Um, but basically the most important thing is get your asset list and your authorization matrix. Because we see so many times that it's either an, an, a bad lever or an, an insider, or it's because people don't know which machines they had or which are part of their network. And suddenly there's lateral movement all across uh, your whole network because this one machine was never updated because it wasn't on any any list at all.
0: The human element all over the place. Yes. Oh, oh, <laughs> so. Always, yes. Um, hey, do you, how do you keep abreast of, well, yeah, of things in, related to cybersecurity? I'm going to ask you that. And then I'm going to also go ask you if you have any book recommendations, not necessarily in cybersecurity, but it could be in, that, that, in, that relates to the world that we're living in that somehow would bring back to security. So for example, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Sovereign Individual. Um, and you know, I mean, are, what are your recommendations there, both for, professional kind of education ongoing, and then kind of a broader view? Uh,
1: can you repeat the first part again? Because there's, there's, there's two things. We, we had this book and, and what, what did you ask? Oh, I'm sorry.
0: The... In terms of like, how do you keep abreast of oh, yeah. you know, the latest trends in cybersecurity, yes. etc.? cetera?
1: Um, well, one thing is is to, to read a lot and, and, and to look, glance at a lot of sites. Um, and of course, uh, I have this aggregation, which almost everybody who has ever been in, 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 in a CISO role has, but, but most of the cybersecurity professionals as well, like this RSS uh, aggregation and then you see then just a general gist. You don't read all of the tweets and then all of the news articles, but, but you can just get a kind of a feel um, for what you should read. And then um, I read uh, hacker news a lot, um, but also the Dutch site called Tweakers. Um, which is about uh, hacking in in, in the hardware, um, but also I look a bit at LinkedIn, like the professional website, to, to see what other CISOs or what other security professionals are saying. And there's uh, a couple of other podcasts you can listen to. But basically, it, it, it's it's ha- staying in contact uh, with a lot of other cybersecurity professionals mm-hmm. because this uh, um, in cybersecurity community, it, it, sharing is is really uh, a good and big thing so if somebody uh, of my friends knows about a new attack that's coming up they will notify me about this if, if they think it, it, it's relevant for me so um and, and ha- having good contacts having good social contacts um is actually your strongest weapon in in, in this part because you simply can you can, you can either spend uh, all of your day reading stuff and, and then knowing what's going on but then you don't have any time to be uh, execute any actions on that um or you can uh, be actionable all day and and have no time for reading anything. So sharing the burden is is really a good idea on that.
0: Yeah, I'm a member of the ISSI uh, Puget Sound chapter, and I learn so much whenever I go to the meetings that our, our meeting, or excuse me, our chapter president, I think that's his title, he does a really good job of, of bringing in speakers that are not the, just there to promote their widget or their technology, but actually, you know, talk about the, the threat landscape, some, you know, best practices, et cetera. And, and then, and then, you know, in, in addition to that, they'll do like a kind of a weekly or monthly roundup. Here's some of the things, top level news things, here are, here's what initially happened, here were the outcomes. And it's yeah. just like, Every time I go there, it's basically two or three different case studies and I'm learning. And for me, for me that's much more effective than looking at a bunch of tweets because it's yes. like those are so many different rabbit holes that I can go down and, ah. You know. no, but, uh,
1: exactly what you're saying. The, 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 the reason what, uh, what I said with these uh, tweets and, and, and news aggregates is that if I see, suddenly see everybody talking about kind of the same thing, it means, okay, now, now I need to pay attention gotta, to what, what's going on exactly exactly no it's it's all good um and then my second question
0: was about any any type of you know kind of broader higher level uh, books
1: or things that that you you know you'd like to recommend uh, one book about uh, hacking uh, i i like to recommend a lot is is um the cuckoo's egg by clifford Stoll. and the reason uh, is that it's actually the first documented case um where clifford Stoll. Uh, he, U.S. physicist, actually, who just wanted to have a, a small job after uh, his um, PhD, um, actually discovered how the Chaos Computer Club hackers and and, and behind it the KGB um, did the first hack um, in, in in university computers and tried to steal uh, government secrets. And this is a true story. It, it, it just but with the true uh, with proper logs from from that time, um, because. I don't want to spoil anything, but Clifford Stoll used some lateral thinking to to solve the problem, and it's a really awesome book to to read. And if you've read that book, there's a corollary book uh, from the Chaos Computer Club itself, um, in which they describe the other side of of those uh, times. the Cuckoo's Egg by Clifford Stoll. That, 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 that that's that's clue. awesome.
0: They're they're going on my reading list, and I, I like the fact that uh, the Chaos uh, Computer Club put out something and say like this is what we were doing at the same time, and uh, and you, you you know it's kind of like uh, there was a Clint Eastwood movie about the attack of Okinawa, and you you see the first movie is from the Americans' point of view, and the second movie is from the Japanese point of view, and um, it's like whoa, it's a it's a it's a very revealing, yes, very interesting. Well, hey, Adriano, I I really enjoyed this conversation, and, um, and you know, uh, um, it's been nice meeting you. Do you uh, do you have any plans to uh, to visit the U.S. for work or anything?
1: Not very. Uh, not on my agenda. I've visited the U.S. Uh, a couple of times, and, then, and then a couple of times for work, a couple of times for pleasure. Um, you, you have an awesome country just just keep it awesome that,
0: that
1: would yeah. be really that's a whole other that's a whole rabbit hole in
0: discussion and i, I yeah. just don't why, why is everybody no. so angry all the time i mean yeah it is awesome and i'm i'm looking out here at the mountains and the trees and and um and i just don't understand where all this anger comes from but um you know people. In politics, it just is what it is. But hey, um, it, I, it would be great to cross paths in person sometime. If you ever do make it out to the West Coast, let me know. Otherwise, you know, I'll touch base with you uh, in a few months. I'll let you know after I read the books. So I'll give you some feedback on that. And uh, you know, please keep in touch and wish you the best, uh, you and, and Nord Security, the best for the remainder of 2022. Likewise. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest
1: threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.